0: Welcome to the Control Alt Azure Podcast. I'm Yusip And I'm Tobias. Join us for a journey in the cloud.
1: Hello and welcome back again to another episode of Control Alt Azure. I am Tobias Zimmergren and I'm back with Yussi Roine.
0: What's up? Hey Toby. I've lost count on the number of episodes we've done. I think this is episode 81, perhaps. So what's up for me is that I've started the actual planning and building process for my future home lab. That that means my future server data center, my own premises <laughs> of the future. <laughs> more stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yes, more stuff. But this is stuff I really, really need. So so this is important. Mm-hmm. and i've sourced a half-sized server rack so the full size is 42 units i have no idea what the height is but it's like two meters so this is half size maybe maybe a little bit less and it has a wheel so i can actually move it around and my real need for this is about six eight months from now when my new house is ready and built and i can move in but I figured that since I landed with this half-sized rack already, that I will start moving my gear, my my, my two NAS devices, my servers and everything else, so that I can actually get rid of some furniture I'm not planning on, on taking with me when eventually we move. So that's probably the top of mind for me in the coming weekend. And uh, the bike thing, um, that i think i mentioned an episode or two ago the bike thing it's still uh work very much in progress i've got <laughs> the bike disassembled nothing has happened since we last spoke because there's no tools there's no replacement parts but hopefully in the in the few next days i, I have time to visit a few stores to ask if they can help me out
1: yeah. So I, I just hear excuses again, man. It's, uh, <laughs> you know, you just got to hop on the bike, but yeah, I get it. You know, the, when I looked into, uh, getting some spare parts for, for my bike as well, everything was sold out. And then I thought, well, let's forget that for a while and, you know, go for some outdoor adventures, go hiking. And I went to like all the online shops selling stuff for uh, outdoor gear also sold out. You know, everyone is, Uh, They cannot go to their vacations and the plant trips anymore. So everyone is staying at home. So home exercising and, you know, outdoor activities has blown up. So totally understandable. Yeah. So how about for you? So for me, I guess one thing that I'm super proud of is I am in my circles known for growing the biggest plants of basil you've ever seen. So the last one that I did, it's about two years ago. That was almost two meters. And you know, it became so so big uh, that the um, the stems got bark on it. So, um, and and this is normal basil that you put in the pizza or in your pesto or whatever. And now, I am still I'm growing new basil, new set or a new batch. Um, everything from seed, and the leaves of the basil is the size of my hand, and I've never seen leaves that big. So I'm super happy, super proud. You know, I'm gonna take that project to the next level, and I really hope I can now get to 250 centimeters or two and a half meter uh, for these basil plants uh, by the end of the year. We'll see. Apart from that, you know, it's um, I am riding my bike. I don't just look at it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I've, I've been riding about 350 kilometers the last month on the bike, which is pretty cool. So I'm still waiting on you to get on the you know get the gear sorted so we can take the. Uh, Take the pain and endure it, you know, up the mountain tops of Watopia, which is the virtual world in in this biking uh, setup thing. So I've I've done a couple of virtual tours, a couple of rides with friends, and it's pretty fun. You connect via Teams or WhatsApp or what other you know messaging platform you want, and we do a video call at the same time. So not only can you not cheat, right? <laughs> you cannot just step yeah. down the bike and take a break <laughs> and and have a Snickers. Um, but it's, it's also good fun. So not exactly like being on the road outside together, but close enough, I think, for now. So pretty cool.
0: Sounds good, sounds good. So I take it that what I'm going to need besides my bike is a, is a stand or a mount where I can put a tablet or a phone to have the video call. But then I probably need a different display to see the statistics and the, and the route and whatever the application is showing me, right?
1: Yeah, that's correct. And so, I mean, the, the audience tuning in now, you cannot see the video, but we're currently in a video call so we can see one another. And behind me, I have uh, one of my tablets on top of a kind of a chandelier kind of thing. So it's, or a, a candelab, I don't know what the English word for that is, um, a candle holder standing on the floor. So obviously that's not optimal. There are devices and tables they sell, of course, like everything, you can get new gadgets but I find just two tablets, one for the team's call, um, and one for the actual, uh, bike app that works perfect and it's easy to move them around. So, so, um, you need to have the, you know, at least those two, if you want to have a, a good experience where you can see the people you ride with in person in the video call at the same time, as you see all the statistics and everything that happens in the actual virtual bike ride. Because nothing is worse than seeing everyone in the, in the call, but then you, in the in the game if you don't see it it's going to be 10 percent steep uphill and you don't have time to gear down and you and you know if that comes unexpected it's going to be real tricky right so
0: so that's a, a good reason to have two displays okay for so the, the the bike thing will cost me x and the tablets will be x times two <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> just to get the setup <laughs> right okay good stuff so i will keep you posted how it goes so today Episode 81, Azure Updates. And we've done this um, quite some times already. So we've got a bunch of updates uh, that are recent for Azure. And and we'll go through this one by one and and highlight what's interesting and what's relevant. And on the show notes, we'll also have links to everything we mentioned here. So if, if something is of a special interest, you can open the show notes and and click through the articles and the resources we've added here as well. But Toby, please start with whatever you have in mind on the updates, please.
1: All righty. So things that I found interesting, uh, one of them is currently in preview and it's Microsoft Azure Web PubSub service. So that's a fully managed service to enable developers to build large scale real-time messaging with WebSockets. So I've used WebSockets for a bunch of different things. And if you're familiar with using SignalR and other types of um, you know, patterns and services for communicating front and back end and you know, kind of messaging in your in your apps, then that might be familiar. Um, so with WebSockets, you can now get this publish subscribe, which is where the name PubSub comes from in your web apps. So, Web PubSub um, kind of offers a built in support for large scale client connections and highly available architectures. And that then would remove the need to manage any backend infrastructure for WebSocket server implementations. So, you can find it in the marketplace. It's in preview. Uh, configuring it seems fairly easy. I have not set it up and actually run it, I just took a quick look. Um, languages supported like C, Sharp, Python, Java, you know, the usual. Um, with the WebSockets API. And then you have native integrations with Azure functions. And I guess this is one of the selling points as well. So you can build serverless apps easily using WebSockets. So kind of real-time serverless, meaning that you can write less code, maintain less infrastructure, and you can save on costs, but still get this kind of high scale uh, messaging architecture up and running, which is kind of cool. So I guess a perfect use case, both for functions and for PubSub.
0: So this is interesting. And I've never heard of this service before, so I I will take a look at this, but we already have Azure Communication Services, which sort of gives you the backend for one-to-one messaging and video calls and all sorts of stuff. So my take from here, just listening to to how you describe this, is that I would use Azure Web PubSub for building a super custom real-time, perhaps messaging, but me- not messages as in user-to-user, but something I would use on a web and it would need to message back and forth with something that I'm hosting on Azure. Is is, is this how you would approach this?
1: Yeah, so it's it's not like communication services is about communicating like people or bots or typing messages, right? And this mm-hmm. type of communication happening here, this is like a um, you have events and messages uh, and you have message patterns when you develop applications. And for web apps, you have different messaging patterns, and you also have something called signalR. And these things help you uh, communicate between the server and the client. So if the web browser opens up a web page and you have, I don't know, a, a dashboard of live incidents of something, and you know th- there might be a thousand things on the world map. and you know each of those might require a connection or might require you know immediate messages between the client and server. Those are the type of messages we're talking about. So like messages, not just between me as a person and the application, but between different uh, areas of the application, like the, the web browser that a user is looking at and the actual server. And this is then done using WebSockets. So this is a, a new service that can handle, you know, a vast amount of connections over web WebSockets. You get this kind of high scale thing. Uh, so it definitely looks interesting. Um, definitely there's a lot of use cases. and like i mentioned here you know removing the requirements of infrastructure and having like an azure functions serverless um you know just relying on on this seems like a pretty good approach if you need an api and you need to communicate quite quickly and you have perhaps a web app somewhere and this web app needs to you know send a lot of requests back and forth to something then this intermediary could be azure functions so i'm i'm pretty excited about looking at it i have not built anything with it yet but I do see some use cases even for the things I'm working on in, in our production scenarios. So I'm hoping that when it comes out of preview, it's mature enough for you know, fitting into to the bucket I have in mind, which unfortunately at the time I cannot mention much more about.
0: So once I'm done with building, building my home data center uh, in the rack, I will, I will open up Azure <laughs> portal and try this out. So for me on the updates, uh, in public preview now, Azure Site Recovery supports Azure Policy. And the idea here is that you can force, through Azure Policy, you can force Azure Site Recovery backup settings for your VMs. And there's two interesting aspects here. The first one is that you can apply this to a resource group. So not individual VMs to say, okay, here's a policy, you VM over there out of the 500 VMs that I have, you need to start backing up to this uh recovery vault but instead you can apply this to a resource group and all the vms that will be deployed in there will automatically uh, inherit the settings through the policy but also if you have existing vms within that resource group they will also inherit those settings and it's called a remediation process So you can tackle all of your legacy things, all of your VMs that do not have backup correctly configured and say, by applying this policy, all future VMs, all existing VMs will conform to these settings that I hope to use.
1: All right, sounds interesting. And that was in public preview, right?
0: Yeah, that's in public preview. And I had a look at the interface. It's a couple of clicks and and you're done. So nothing magical about this but this is this is i would say this is one of those old school it pro settings that we sort of want to have in the cloud and it's nice that even though it's it's a fairly fairly traditional way of doing things i'm still happy that we're getting settings like this now
1: and the next item on my list is something that is now in ga it did have a a preview before that i noticed as well um, but it's now available and it's called the Application Insights Work Item Integration in Azure Monitor. So you can integrate failures as tickets or work items in your DevOps or GitHub boards. Um, so whenever something happens in App Insights, you can go there and you can you can kind of find the end-to-end transaction. And from there, uh, you can select what tracking system you wanna track it in, and then you can say, create ticket or or create a work item and it will be sent over to GitHub or to Azure DevOps, depending on uh, what system you're using. And when you do that, when you click that, after you configure this uh, setup and you click it, it's gonna bring you to Azure DevOps in my case for some of my work stuff. And it's gonna be pre-populating that form with the data from App Insights. Because one of the biggest problems we have in our kind of DevSecOps and DevOps process is some of this stuff, that are in some telemetry buckets if you will so in in different app insights cannot be shared with developers because some of that tel- telemetry tells us perhaps something about customers or something about you know systems or processes or connections or whatever that they may not or should not have access to or insights into so in a, you know in a perfect world where devops and devsecops work as one unit, and all the developers have access to everything happening in production. Yeah, that's obviously if you work with compliance and, and data security and audit log uh, security and stuff like that, that's never going to happen uh, because there are legal requirements for why that cannot happen. Uh, then I really like this, because then I can actively go in here, or someone in my team can go in here and say, all right, we have a, a bug that we found. And I've nailed it down to being happening in this case, in this timeline. And yeah, I found the event, create a work item, come over to Azure DevOps or or GitHub, fill in the additional details and whatever else they need to know, maybe a screenshot, maybe something else, I don't know. And then you have control over what data goes in there, right? But it's pre-populated. So you don't have to kind of extract all the data from, from App Insights and then create a ticket yourself manually. You just click the button and then... If you want, you can kind of brush up on what I was automatically filled in. So I think this is really powerful. I've used it. I will continue using it. I really like it. And again, it everything is, everyone has different kind of uh, situations and scenarios that, that will work or not work for you. I did have a conversation with someone who said that they use this, but all their developers, even their external developers who does not belong to the company, they have access to their production telemetry, so App Insights in production. Which of course, depending on what kind of product you're developing, depending on what kind of data goes in there, might work for you. That would never fly for me, and I would never want it that way, um, because you know when you do security audits or if you want to comply with ISO or SOC 2 type 2 or some kind of industry standard for information security and how you secure systems and who have access to them. You know, only authorized personnel can ever access telemetry and audit logs. So albeit you have the option to say, click here and everyone in my team will get access to it. You know, that's legally not possible for a lot of organizations, which is of course something to keep in mind, which is why I really like this feature because now whoever is authorized in the team can go in and say, you know what? I want the devs to know about this or the product team or whoever. You click it, send the data over. You can remove anything that should not be in there if you need to, and that's it. So a lot of the manual steps is uh, removed. So just to reiterate the, the update there, it's Application Insights Work Item Integration in Azure Monitor. So in App Insights, sending data to your work item bucket list, which is then GitHub or Azure DevOps.
0: Super cool feature this sounds amazing because i often work with non-technical people as part of a project for example and sometimes they are busy and they need to escalate or relay me or my team the information that something is not working out so i might be getting an email that says this and this doesn't work and i'm like all righty so in production or test or what scenario no it doesn't work (laughs) and and by using something like this i can actually enforce that let's let's focus on the telemetry let's focus on the actual data that we have that i have some sort of sense on on what the problem is and we can actually work on this yeah and i'm i'm happy it's generally available now so so this is definitely something to look into so the next one on my list, and Toby, I know you are sitting down already. I, I'm normally standing up when, I, when, when when we do the recordings. But anybody listening on this, perhaps now is a good time to sit down, take that cup of coffee or tea you might have. Uh-oh. <laughs> and, and I am putting my cup of tea on my felt coasters that I still have. <laughs> uh, so public preview new Azure VMs for general purpose and memory intensive workloads. And and here's here's sort of the good bits. This will be called dv5, dsv5, ddv5, ddsv5, eb5, edv5, now in preview. So a bunch equaling six different Azure VMs now in preview and they will utilize the intel xeon platinum uh 8370 c cpus so those would be called the ice lake cpus from intel's roadmap so you get up to 96 virtual cpus up to 2.4 terabytes of local ssd and up to 672 gigs of ram But these are fairly specific for for memory intensive workloads, but also for general purpose workloads. And you need to request access via the form. So we put the link in the show notes. You need to fill out the form that what are you specifically trying to do And and perhaps this is not for mining Bitcoins or anything like that, but this is really for utilizing... I have to take my request back. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) quickly, cancel, cancel. Uh, And I did not see the pricing yet, but just thinking Intel Xeon 96 vCPUs, that might cost you a bit. But then again, if you have need for such resources, then obviously it, it makes perfect sense
1: and if they choose the the Finland data center it's going to be hosted in your half rack under your desk right
0: oh yeah and <laughs> and then i wouldn't have to worry about heating anymore next winter
1: <laughs> so you apparently win uh, you know some kind of award for buzzwords and super technical jargon in in that update
0: <laughs> yeah so i'm i'm looking forward to deploying my dds v5 vm in the future <laughs>
1: okay. so I have another update regarding Azure Monitor and not to your surprise, I have another one coming for Azure Monitor later. So this one is in preview and it's stateful and one minute frequency log alerts in Azure Monitor. So perhaps a smaller type of update, but interesting to understand if you work a lot with operations and monitoring, which I do. So stateful log alerts. With this feature, fired alerts should automatically resolve once the condition is no longer met, right? Traditional alerts, you get an email or you, you fired something, it's like this happened, you got this exception, you fire an alert and then you fire and forget, right? So you just fire and then you can fire another one and fire another one. But with a stateful log alert, this is like the default behavior in a metric alert. For example, your website does not uh, have 100% uptime anymore, it's down to 95%. But when then it's back to hundred percent, that alert gets canceled and resolved automatically. That's what we get now with stateful log alerts. So we can make these alerts based on logs and kind of set the state. So when this happens and we get a lot of these things coming in, you know, trigger this alert and this alert will remain active for the period of time that this is happening. And when this then resolves itself or the logs go away, the, the alert can be resolved. So this, I already see it's uh, like I mentioned in preview, but I can see so many use cases for this because I have a lot of fire and forget alerts for a lot of systems running in a lot of places. If I could use this for even a fraction of them, that would save a lot of time and a lot of alert fatigue, right, because right now you get a lot of alerts and it's sometimes difficult to know what to take action on. So those are the stateful log alerts. There's another update here, which is the one minute frequency, right? So with this enabled, the alert query will be evaluated every single minute to check for whatever condition that you uh, are checking for. So this can reduce the overall time uh, to fire an alert from the logs. So good to know know, for your more critical workloads and issues. So you can take a quick action and be able to mitigate this with uh, a, a shorter time to market, if you will. So from the moment that the alert was triggered uh, to it being resolved, and in this case, the alert triggers as soon as possible. So within one minute of discovering the issue, you can send an alert. Otherwise, it's very common in Azure Monitor to set up an alert and say, in the last thirty minutes, or in the last sixty minutes, or even in the last day, depending on you know how critical it is. So in in the last, let's assume we take thirty minutes. So in the last 30 minutes, if more than one exception of this type happened here, send me a critical alert. Or more than 10 of this exception happened over here, send me a, a medium alert. Now we have a one minute frequency. So when you have really critical things and you really need to discover them as soon as possible because maybe you have SLAs, maybe you have different things you need to uphold, this helps and then you can take immediate action. Um, so yeah, those are the uh, the updates um, for the, the stateful and one-minute frequency log alerts in Azure Monitor.
0: And was this something that's in public preview now? Was it right?
1: This is in, in preview now, yeah. I okay. don't know when it's going to be generally available, but it, it is in preview now, yeah
0: good good to know at some point we need to do an episode on azure monitor and just the alerts what sort of designs are in there how do you utilize the action groups because often i find myself configuring those but then i go oh but i I actually should plan more on this not just do this one one alert for this specific scenario so this is an interesting topic for sure on my list next in public preview enhancements to encryption so that you can use customer managed keys for azure backup and I, I think this is something that a lot of customers have been waiting for that when they initiate the backup let's let's say you utilize azure site recovery like i mentioned previously and you do backups of your vms but now those backups will be in a record recovery services vault and you can encrypt that backup data with a key that you manage, not a key Microsoft manages. So you can also utilize user assigned managed identities here for granting access to the keys. Again, not granting Microsoft access to your custom managed keys, but but having your own custom managed keys and having your own user assigned managed identity to access those keys. So awfully specific, but brings a huge benefit we get to encrypt our backups with our keys that we manage. But obviously it enforces you to also manage those keys. So you have to take care if they expire and you also have to secure the keys, not print them out on a a post-it note, (laughs) for example. And this is public preview, but you again have to fill out a form to get access. And I, I think the whole idea with filling out the forms is that this might require require perhaps some, some investments on Microsoft side. So instead of opening this to a lot of random people just, you know, kicking tires, they they make you fill out the form to weed out those people who really want to benefit from this and perhaps reach back to them to ask how how it's working after a month or two. And you can also leverage Azure policies to do auditing and even enforcing the encryption of backup data in recovery services using customer-managed keys. So a lot of features in just one public preview.
1: Yeah, that's very nice. So so that was in public preview, and I have something that is in GA that kind of relates in a way. It's also Azure Policy, um, and Azure Policy have built-in definitions for data encryption in Azure Monitor. So again, this is why I mentioned before that I, I like talking about Azure Monitor today. There's a lot of things happening here. And just like you mentioned with customer managed keys and, and for, for Azure backups, customer managed keys and data encryption is super crucial, super important to understand the capabilities. Um, and I think as a side note, we should do an episode on double key encryption, bring your own key, host your own key, You know all these different scenarios that are supported with Azure. That we really haven't talked about in details, but there's a lot of things there. But for this uh, update, uh, you know, what would an update episode be without me talking about some kind of security enhancement? So with exactly. Azure policies, <laughs> with Azure policies, um, there's a bunch of new Azure policies, and again, this is in GA, so it's available right now. If you want to go take a look in your in your own Azure subscription. Azure monitor logs clusters should be encrypted with customer managed key. So that's a new built-in policy definition. So again, Azure monitor logs clusters should be encrypted with customer managed key. And then there, the next one that is also built in, Azure monitor log clusters should be created with infrastructure encryption enabled, which of course also makes sense. And the next one is Azure monitor logs for application insight should be linked to a log analytics workspace. And I think I, I wrote a couple of blog posts about that a while back. When, when you set up App Insights, you'll get a question saying, do you want to use classic mode or do you want to use log analytics? I do not see a reason to use classic anymore at all. You just use log analytics and you get the full power of audit, security, log queries, everything you have in log analytics. And it's still linked to App Insights. So you use the UI in the portal. It's not going to be a difference. You can use the C-sharp, or whatever SDK to pull data out uh, for log analytics for app insights, that's cool. But if you have the data in log analytics, Azure Policy right now can help you secure that. And then another one is saved queries. So in, in Azure Monitor, you can save a query. Uh, they should be saved in a customer storage account for logs encryption. So again, talking about data security and encryption. Uh, And then finally, log alert queries in Azure Monitor will be saved in customer storage accounts. If Workspace has uh, a linked storage account, which then allows the encryption of, um, of this using your customer managed keys. So again, coming back to how do we protect the data? Well, if you bring your own key, you have a customer managed key, all these Azure policies will help you get in that direction. And they will tell you, well, you are not following this policy right over here, which means you're not really protecting the data when it's in uh, log analytics. So with these policies, you can get help along the way. And also either just audits, you get an alert or create a restriction using Azure policy saying, when you set something up, you don't allow this uh, type um, or you don't allow it to be set up in this way. You have to configure it in that way to support um, your own managed customer managed keys. So a lot going on from Microsoft side on data encryption and, you know, protecting the customer's data. And I really like what I'm seeing. And we also get a lot of questions from our customers. How do you protect the data? Where is it hosted? You know, how, how is your hosting provider protecting the data? And to some extent that uh, those questions are easy to answer when you have everything hosted in Azure. I mean, the, the job is still a bit cumbersome. There's a lot of things we need to answer, but Using all the built-in security mechanisms of Azure, we are, you know, a lot closer to following the industry standards like ISO and SOC Type 2, SOC 2 Type 2, and uh, you know these uh, information policy standards. So, um, yeah, I'm super happy about that update as well. I'm already planning to facilitate that into uh, into our own subscriptions. So I will probably roll that out at the management group level. So. It, triples down to all the subscriptions that I have. Um, Yeah, so I I think that was my last update. I did have a couple of more on my mind, but the other ones are a little bit bigger and I fear that if we start talking about those, it would probably take another 25 minutes. So we can save those for another episode, I think.
0: Sounds good. So I have one more left and uh, all the three, one, three that I mentioned before, they were, were in public review. So this is something that's generally available and it's the Azure Application Gateway URL Rewrites. So it simply allows you to rewrite a host name, part of the path or the query string or all three. And I recall we had a URL rewrite module for IIS in a Windows server all the way in 2008 or 2009. Did you ever have had a chance to use any of those?
1: I, when you mention it, it does ring a bell. I cannot say a specific time I did, but I think even with SharePoint, we hacked some HTTP modules and then did some rewrite modules of, of how to redirect stuff. Very unsupported stuff, I might add, so please don't get any ideas but I don't actually remember any specific use case for using this, now.
0: So the use case for this now in the modern world in, in Azure would be that you are publishing a website. Let's, let's say it's a, it's a web app or it's something hosted on VMs and it would be foo.com. So somebody is requesting foo.com slash article slash one. That would be the nice looking SEO friendly address and what you can now do you can dissect that and do a query to your backend to the actual service serving that content uh using application gateway and the actual request could be foo.com/article.aspx uh, aspx uh, question mark id equals 1 so something that you typically use internally and i feel this is perhaps a feature that I was I was needing uh, two years ago for one project and we eventually did something else. But now since it's part of Azure Application Gateway, it's a setting in there. Uh, this is definitely something that I have to remember in the future because I can clean up a lot of the things that I might have in the backend that shouldn't be exposed to anonymous users accessing a web service, for example.
1: Yeah. It, so this reminds me a little bit about API management Now you can set up uh, different routes and stuff with that. So you might have a backend that looks in one way, but when you have a new version of your, your API in API management, you can define the new version of the API, but you can still route it to the same backend, right? So you can kind of do that thing uh, with other services, but that's specific for API and when you craft your API. So I, I like this idea, then you can make it for Anything you have hosted, really, and if you then use App Gateway, you can start making URL rewrites on that. Which, so it's it's pretty much like a, a forward, like a 302, or maybe yep. not with that status code, but saying you got this input pattern, then redirect to that output pattern. And so yeah, I I like the idea. Uh, I'm using it in in other scenarios uh, for APIs and stuff like that. So I, this makes perfect sense. Yep. Definitely. It Uh, makes me wonder, uh, why did this not exist before? Maybe it did with, you know, other, on the DNS level, you can do the redirects, and you can set up patterns for redirects, but maybe there was, you know, another reason why this didn't exist before in in the service, but I don't know.
0: I have to admit that this is now GA. I did not check when it was in public preview. So this could be one of those features that's been in preview for ages and you sort of start treating it as if it, it belongs there and it's, it's ready for production, but now it's officially ready for production. Alrighty, so plenty of updates. Um, one last thing, the unexpected, unexpected surprising question. I think it's my turn to ask you. Should so I? here it goes. Would you rather talk like Yoda from star wars or (laughs) breathe like darth vader from star wars
1: (laughs) okay (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's a good question uh my immediate answer is i would rather talk like Yoda. so so this is a deep question i mean would it entail that i also kind of uh distort the voice like yoda or just talk kind of backwards so it's a trick a tricky question it is But with a normal voice, or our tricky question, I obviously cannot do that. Um, I would probably say I would talk like Yoda, you know, because imagine you go in into a crowd, you know, when the world comes back together and we can actually meet each other, or even in an online meeting, you come into a crowd you've never met them before, and you're like, you know, everyone is like, "Hi, my name is Yossi. Hi, my name is whatever," and I come in and and say. Tobias, my name is. <laughs> and he, it's it's going to be a conversation starter. It's going to be an icebreaker. It yes. might be tiresome if I'm going to do that for the rest of my life. But on the other hand, I would rather talk slightly awkward than come in and breathe people very heavily in the neck, you know, just yeah. standing there silent, you know, super heavy breathing. <sighs> Everyone is like, what's on your mind? Nothing. It's yeah. I think that's a bit more awkward, to be honest. So, I'll definitely go with Yoda. I would talk like Yoda for the rest of my life, if mm-hmm. need be. But I would not be the guy standing there with bad breath and and you know just inhaling, exhaling without actually saying something.
0: <laughs> when when I was young, I still feel I'm young, but I used to be young as well. Uh, we had a saying here in Finland that if you had a rough night out. You could say it was a Darth Vader night or Darth Vader partying because your breathing sounds the same in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I I think you made the right choice here. The the Yoda way of talking, you can at least choose to not say anything. But the breathing, yeah, you cannot really really stop breathing and and, and not reveal your your secret secret yeah, and special you skill.
1: Know- Imagine you're sitting, you know, again, when the world comes back together, you're sitting in a romantic restaurant with a cup of wine or a glass of wine with your significant other, perhaps, you know, there's some piano music in the background. And like you say, if you don't choose to talk, that's all right. You can just have mm-hmm. your wine and look each other in the eyes, whatever you, you do, right? <laughs> but if if you have the Darth Vader voice and you don't actually talk, everyone in the restaurant is going to turn their heads like, what the heck <laughs> is going on over here? <laughs>
0: really good wine
1: (laughs) yeah super awkward i don't know It it is yoda
0: yoda it is good choice thank you for this thank you for tuning in this was episode 81 on azure updates and until next week
1: all right see you then